The peace of Christ be with you. The Holy Spirit is sometimes compared to the wind, so she's here today. Boy, oh boy. As we gather in this place and as people continue to, to come in, I invite you to breathe in about three deep breaths of that spirit, that you might be aware of how close God is and that you might be held by this house of prayer. Friends, let us worship in beloved community. Please stand in body and spirit for the call to worship. We are not here to check something off our list. We are not here to satisfy guilt or God. We are here to be comforted, challenged, expanded. We are here to be reminded of God's calling for us in the world.
You may be seated. I want to welcome you here to worship at Westminster. It is a joy to be with you today. After worship, I invite you, we have coffee and tea right here in the back corner, uh, have some refreshment, and especially take some time to get to know each other just a little better. Maybe seek out someone you haven't yet met and introduce yourself. Let's join together now in our community prayer. Let us pray. Loving God, even in our striving to be faithful, we sometimes spend our energies on that which does not serve, does not serve our group, does not serve our community, does not serve you. Forgive us for misguided attention and action or inaction altogether. Let us remember why we are here and the teachings and witness of those we follow. Amen. Our prayers continue in quiet. Amen. Friends, hear the good news. The love of God that is revealed to us in Jesus Christ forgives us. That love heals us. That love sets us free. Thanks be to God. Amen. Now, I'd like to invite any of the children who are worshiping with us to come join me here at the front. Good morning. It's good to see you all today. So I wanted to share with you, I'm not actually going to read this story to you, but I wanted to tell you what happens in it. It's a book. It's called Lion Lessons. And basically there's a boy who wants to learn how to be a lion. So the boy goes to a lion and tries to learn all about what to do. And so first the lion says that you have to look fierce. Right? You have, to, you have to look fierce, and the boy tries, and he doesn't do so well. And then you have to roar, and there's this, like, there's this roaring meter, and the boy doesn't do so well again. And then the lessons go on. You have to prowl around, but the boy just kind of stands there. What else do you have to do to be a lion? You have to sprint. The lion wants the boy to sprint far, far away, and Oh, the boy gets very tired, and it takes a very long time. Step six is pouncing. The lion wants the boy to pounce. The oh, boy doesn't do so well. In fact, the lady, instead of being frightened by him, thinks he's so cute, she picks him up and says hello. So all of these things, trying to be a lion. But what I was realizing when I read that is it was all about sort of outside stuff, like how are others going to see me and be scared of me because I'm a lion, right? How are others going to see me when I roar? How are others going to see me when I pounce on them or run fast? And he wasn't very good at that because you know what? He's not a lion. He's a boy, right? He was trying to do all these things and none of them were working. But the very last lesson was look out for your friends, 
All right, and so the boy starts looking, and the boy notices that there's this dog looking kind of scary that's going to, you know, oh, dear, do something maybe mean to the cat. And what does the boy do? He hasn't done very well in all the other lessons, but he sees the dog, and he wants to look out for the cat, and all of a sudden, he's able to do it. He's able to do it, and in fact, he's able to pounce on the dog before the dog can do anything mean or harmful to the cat. And so that's the lesson he really understood, which was interesting to me because that's the one that was all about what was inside of him, what was in his heart, right? The caring and the kindness and the love he wanted to show to that other cat. And I thought it was interesting. Some of you are going to hear a story today, a story from Jesus. And Jesus was encouraging people to, to pray and to give to others. But Jesus said, you know, don't do it because, you know, because it makes you look good or because people think you're really cool. Jesus said, no, do it because it's, what coming, it's what's coming from inside of you. Pray and give because you want to show the love that you have inside of you for God and for everyone else, right? It's not about pouncing and running around. It's about what comes from our heart, just like that little boy discovered. All right, so and as you move through the week, I invite you to consider how do you show that love, that kindness, that giving spirit that comes from your heart. All right, so as we head to Sunday school, I'm first going to invite our teachers to come on over here. And while they're doing that, I'm going to invite any of our middle school students to head to the door to, uh, to greet our children. All right, so I see a whole bunch of your teachers there. There's Christina and Grayson and Fred, and they're going to help lead you over to the Sunday school area. All right. So why don't you head on over there. Go now in peace. Go now in peace. May the love of God surround you everywhere, everywhere you may go. So now as we come to our time of prayer, I want to invite you, if you have a joy or a concern to share with us, uh, to just stand up and let us know. Yeah. So I think I heard all of that. There was a lot of commotion going on. Um, so your son's father-in-law, who had a skiing accident and injured his spine, and so he's now um, at the hospital in Reno, you said, and they're just trying to figure out what to do to, to care for him. So certainly prayers for your whole family, absolutely. Others? Oh, yeah, Bruce. Yeah. My nephew is going to have major back surgery this coming week, mm. and then the next week he's going to have another major back surgery. Oh, my goodness. So prayers for him and his family. Yeah, so a nephew with two major back surgeries coming up. Yeah, other Susan.
Thank you, Susan. So many of you might remember the Patler family. They were members here many years ago. Um, one of the daughters, who's now an adult, Caitlin, has been diagnosed with a brain tumor. She's going to have surgery Wednesday. It sounds like the prognosis is good, um, but we will certainly hold the Patler family in our prayers. I saw something back here. Mimi, yeah. Prayers for friend Leslie with incurable cancer. Gwen. Oh, not Gwen. Yes. <laughs> Absolutely. Mom Elizabeth, who has worshipped with us many times. Mom Elizabeth, who just suffered a stroke. Yes, Gil. Nancy, prayers for Gil's sister Nancy, who's been diagnosed with chronic heart failure. Tila, did you? Oh, over here, Bill. Yeah, Bob. Jim, it's good to have you with us following surgery. Continued prayers for your recovery. Yeah. Tila. So a uh, family friend, uh, Jeff Hoffmeyer, who is also a Presbyterian pastor, um, was traveling about a week ago and had a choking incident um, and is still, sounds like, in really poor health from that. So prayers for Jeff and his family, yes. Yeah, Nancy. I have a concern. So concern is um, Doug Harmon, who is a musician, What's his name? Doug, you said? Doug Harmon, a friend who um, had a car accident and has broke his wrist in two places, so healing prayers. Um, and then just a joy during a remodeling project that the uh, spouses are agreeing on things, which is definitely a joy. Anyone else? Yeah, Sherry. So uh, Sherry's offering praise for her brother. His company got bought out, so he's now finding himself out of a job. He has a son with special needs who just turned 21, and so his care is changing, and he has shingles. So lots of prayers for him and your family. Yeah. 
let's let's take a few moments in quiet. We certainly heard a lot of prayers, and I know there are some you continue to keep in the silence of your own hearts. So we'll have a few moments of quiet, and then I'll lead us in the Lord's Prayer. So let us pray. Loving God, you are continuing to call us into new ways to care, new ways to serve. May your spirit meet us here this day, that we may glimpse your grace and be inspired to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with you always. We pray in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, who taught us to pray together, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the
something to follow, you know. <laughs> Today's first scripture reading is Isaiah 58, 1 to 12. Listen here how it speaks to you. Shout out, do not hold back. Lift up your voice like a trumpet. Announce to my people their rebellion to the house of Jacob their sins. Yet day after day they seek me and delight to know my ways, as if they were a nation that practiced righteousness and did not forsake the ordinance of their God. They ask of me righteousness judgments. They delight to draw near to God. Why do we fast? But who do we see? Why humble ourselves? But you do not notice. Look, you serve your own interest on your fast day and oppress all your workers. Look, you fast only to quarrel and to fight and to strike with a wicked fist. Such fasting as you do today will not make your voice heard on high. Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into your house when you see the naked to cover them and not Excuse me, and not to hide yourself from your own kin. Then your light shall break forth into the dawn, and your healing shall spring up quickly. Your vindicator shall go before you. The glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. Is such the fast that I choose, a day to humble yourself, oneself? Is it to bow down the head like a bulrush, and to lie in sackcloth and ashes? Will you call this a fast, a day acceptable to the Lord? Is not this the fast that I choose to loosen the bounds of injustice, to undo the thongs of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free, and to break every yoke? Then you shall call, and the Lord will answer. You shall cry for help, and he will say, Here I am. If you remove the yoke from among you, the pointing of the finger, the speaking of evil, if you offer your food to the hungry and satisfy the needs of the afflicted, then your light shall rise in the darkness and your gloom be like noonday. The Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your needs in parched times and make your bones strong and you shall be like a watered garden like a spring of water, whose waters never fail. Your ancient ruins shall be rebuilt. You shall raise up the foundations of many generations. You shall be called the repairer of the breach, the restorer of streets to live in. This is holy wisdom, holy word. Thanks be to God. The second reading comes from the Gospel of Matthew, the fifth chapter, verses 13 to 20. These are the words of Jesus. Listen for what the Spirit is saying to us in and through them. You are salt of the earth, but if earth, if salt has lost its taste, how can its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything, but is thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A city built on a hill cannot be hid. No one, after lighting a lamp, puts it under a bushel basket. 
but on the lampstand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. Do not think I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I've come not to abolish, but to fulfill. For truly, I tell you, until heaven and earth pass away, not one letter, not one stroke of a letter will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. This too is holy wisdom, holy word. Thanks be to God. If I were to ask you where you could go to avoid exhibiting your faith, I know a strange question coming from your pastor, Uh, But where would you go? Uh, How about work? Safe place, right? We don't want to bring the religion into the workplace. I think we can respect that. Um, Maybe school. If you're younger, we know that we don't pray in school, except before exams, or we ask somebody out to the dance. (laughs) Key conversion moments there. Maybe at your child or grandchild's soccer game on the sidelines. Don't bring faith into that. We've got yelling to do, right? Aside on that, I saw this wonderful cartoon a couple of weeks ago, and it's of a child outside the kitchen, and their parent is in the kitchen, and the child is saying to the parent, okay, now get the fork, get the fork, now get the plate, put the plate over here, okay, crack the egg, crack the egg, stir it up, stir it up, stir it up, stir it up, put it on the stove, put it on the stove, put it on the stove. And finally, the parent responds, I know how to cook an egg. And and the caption says, now you know what it's like at my soccer games. (laughs) Heaven forbid we bring our faith there. We've got the important work of raising anxious children. I mean, we wonder why they're anxious. Face, meet, mirror. Um, Maybe... um, Polite company would be a good place not to bring up your faith, right? I mean, we know how that can go south pretty quickly. Uh, Tiburon Ferry, maybe. I mean, captive audience, a little bit unfair. I mean, can you imagine going up to somebody, hey, can I tell you about Jesus? No thanks, they shout, as they're diving overboard. It's really warm. I think I'll just swim. Uh, What if I told you that the best place to avoid your faith is church? Richard Rohr, great Franciscan, says that religion is the safest place to hide from God. What? (laughs) That doesn't seem right. My sentiments exactly. His point is, all of this, if we're not careful, can become an exercise in missing the point that we can become so consumed in the details of it. If I just go to enough meetings, and God knows we have plenty of those, if I just come to worship enough Sundays, if I just spend time sharpening the pencils in the pews, then I won't have to do the real work. 
of encountering God and transforming myself, my relationships, my community. Coming to church isn't the point. Coming to church is where we point you and point one another to the point. It's where together we try to orient ourselves to the point. It's hard to get that because we might prefer some of the other pieces. Do you know what the first thing people almost always say to me when I run into them in public? Almost without exception. You know what people say to me? Anybody have a guess? I'm sorry. I'm sorry I wasn't at church. Here's a little secret. I didn't notice. But now I do. How sad. And that's not an indictment of you. That's an indictment of we who have taught you that all of it is about your attendance here on Sunday mornings. That if you just check that box, you've done your piece. And if you haven't checked that box, you are not good enough. We'll get to church in a minute. Matthew Fox, the great theologian and mystic, says that, you know, when we're young, our whole lives are oriented around pleasing mommy or daddy. Debatable, actually, in my house. But, <laughs> but we, that's what everything is about. And there's a place for that because mommy or daddy or whomever are the ones that teach us what's safe and what's not safe, what's right and what's wrong, and there's a value in that. But, of course, the goal is to outgrow that at some point. Some of us don't outgrow it. And we are still well into adulthood chasing that affirmation from mother, father, or someone. And Fox says that some of us who outgrow that in a literal sense actually just transfer it from a mommy or daddy to a daddy in the sky. And we spend our whole lives seeking that affirmation by doing this or that. But that, too, is not the point. God doesn't care about that say. God does care. You know, Jesus says God cares a great deal. And Jesus says there will be accountability. It won't be based necessarily on the roster sheet on Sunday morning, but it will be on how you treat one another. Jesus is pretty simple in his preaching. Love God, love neighbor. It's the whole of the law. And you actually do the former by doing the latter. And on one level, we will be held accountable for the way we did that in this world. Now, I say all of this in solidarity with those of you who are still trying to seek that affirmation. Uh, I'm a pleaser, and so I very much want to make those I respect proud of me or accept me or tell me I'm good enough. So I'm with you, not against you on this matter but maybe we can lift ourselves out of it together. Now, none of this is to say your, your attendance here isn't important. It's vitally important for your Christian formation, not just as an individual, but for us as a people. But it's to say that this isn't an end. It isn't the end. It is a beginning. 
It's a way station, maybe a crossroads pathway into a new way, into new life. It's where we come to be strengthened in heart and soul. In our minds, maybe even our bodies. We teach yoga here, folks. I mean, come on. It's where we come to encounter and strengthen and form relationships that are based on something deeper than they might be elsewhere. It's where we come uh, as a wisdom center to relish in the tradition and the teachings that have been passed down to us. It's a healing ground where we can be restored. It's a place where we come to reconnect with our place in the cosmos where we belong in the grand scheme of things. It's where we come to be anchored in a deeper story and in our ancestral roots that remind us of who we are and what our work is here. Ancestors such as Isaiah. Isaiah, who has such powerful words to say to us today about religious practice. And when it is serving its purpose of leading people to a better way and when it is falling short and not only not leading people to a better way, but sending the false message that they've gotten it right just by going through the motions. Listen to what Isaiah says. Listen to what he shouts. Why do we fast? Religious ritual. But you do not see Why do we humble ourselves, but you do not notice? Look, you serve your own interests on your fast day. Talk about an irony. You're fasting and you turn it into an exercise of self-absorption. You serve your own interests on your fast day and you oppress all your workers. This is not about personal piety or your devotional journal. This is about fair treatment of labor. And if you're doing your ritual, but you're not treating your workers well, well, you have missed the point. Look, you fast only to quarrel and fight and strike with a wicked fist. If your fasting makes you hangry, you've missed the point. Fasting is to make you humble, reminded of your dependence on the everlasting one and the one right across from you who houses the everlasting one. Is this not the fast that I choose to loose the bonds of injustice, to undo the thongs of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free and to break every yoke? These words of justice. Is it not to share your bread with the hungry, to bring the homeless poor into your house? I think probably your own personal house, and I think probably as a community to provide housing for those who need it. When you see the naked, to cover them and not to hide yourself from your kin, and they're all kin. If you offer food to the hungry and satisfy the needs of the afflicted, then what? You'll get a sticker? You'll get a get-out-of-hell pass? That's what religion's been reduced to. You do this right, you don't have to go to hell. What a sad legacy. It's much better news than that. By the way, you're all, you're, you're all safe, okay? <laughs> if you're here because of that, you're good. You can go. I mean, I'm not kidding. Go out. Look at the, 
Yeah, it's fine. How many people, how many people have wasted countless hours Sunday morning waiting for that? If that's all you need, church is for sick, not the well. If you're well, go. It's a nice day out. Traffic's not bad. This is what happens if you do this. Your light shall rise in the darkness. And your gloom shall be like the noonday. Isn't that marvelous? The reward is joy. Remember joy? Been a while for some. All this is about joy. The church got confused and made it all about fear. Because if we can make you afraid, we can control you and we can keep you here. But if we can unlock joy, you're free. For me, the definition of justice is that everybody gets to have joy. That's the whole point, is to unlock it for everyone. And then our job is just to point you there, not to keep you here. And in the end, you'll be like a garden that never needs watering because it's flowing up like a fountain. Can you imagine that image? Not get out of hell, get back to the garden. Your ancient ruins shall be rebuilt. You shall rise up the foundations of many generations, and you shall be called repairer of the breach, the restorer of the streets to live in. Imagine if that's what they will say of us someday when all of us are gone to another land, that they say they were the ones who repaired the breach. They restored the streets. The result is that communities will be healed, they'll flourish and they'll endure, and will be remembered for it. Roar says religion can be the worst of things because it can distract us from that. That we can get caught in all this effort around the wrong things. Remember the prophets, not just Isaiah, but Amos and Micah say things like, God hates your religious practices. Whoops. Not because they're bad in and of themselves, but only if they fail to, to move you into a better place and to shape your behavior and to transform your communities. And that's why Rohr also says religion can be the best thing in the world. Not because it can wag its finger at you or shame you or guilt you into doing what it wants you to do, but because it can release you and it can call you home. It can call you home to your beautiful and beloved self, your beautiful and beloved family and relationships. It can call you home to a deep sense of joyful responsibility for your community. It can call you home to your values and your God-given conscience. It can call us home to our place in this incredible creation, our place in a deep lineage. It can call us home to the one thing we all have undeniably, purpose. Oh, I know society is going to tell you you only have purpose uh, in measure to your ability to spend because that's your whole goal in life is to maximize that. But the gospel is here to tell you you have a measurable purpose because you can love. Not in some syrupy, sentimental way, though that has a place too. Has a place my wife, by the way. I'm not making, <laughs> not making eyes at an elder or something, okay? This church has done enough of that, too. 
It has a place, but that's not all there is. We can love in a way that really changes things. You know what the, uh, you know what the most important thing we will have done here today? It's not light the candle. It's not to sing the hymn. You might be listening to that anthem. It's not listening to me talk. It's between the services, we shut down our far classroom, which has been held in a temporary building. We shut it down so one of the dentists who attends the congregation could give someone who can't afford it a free dental exam laying flat out on the table. If Jesus is anywhere this morning, he's in that room. And that was all possible because um, people met through church and they were inspired to shape the way they practice their vocation through church. And they were inspired to bring someone in need to a place that they could find need because of church. That's the point. Isn't that the point? Otherwise, it's just hollow, folks. It's just hollow. This robe is hollow some Sundays. And Jesus, because he loves us, will call us out on hollowness when he sees it. He says of certain religious leaders of their day, he has this beautiful and poignant um, image. He says, you're like whitewashed tombs. They're like walking mausoleums, strong and polished on the outside and inside. They're just dead and they're full of bones and rot. He says, so, so you also look on the outside, righteous to others. But inside, you're just full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. And Jesus didn't say, I came to wipe away the law. He said, I came to fill it. Where it is hollow, I will make it full. I will fulfill the law. And then in today's reading, he says, you're a salt of the earth. You are what gives it flavor when you recognize your true purpose. And if your salt has lost its taste, what good is it? So maybe our only job here is to help you get a little salty again. But this salt is good for your heart. Trust me. (laughs) Matthew says, you're the light of the world. What a gorgeous image. Now, sadly, we've taken that image, the city on the hill and the light, and used it as an excuse to prop up our own self-righteousness, to show before the world how much better we are than everyone else. And I think that misses the point, too. We've done a lot of focusing on the shining, but maybe not so much focusing on cultivating true light. Recognizing what is God's light and what is our own artificial light, perhaps. His point is not to go and parade uh, what you have. His point is that if you cultivate a space for the true divine light to enter in and to take up residence and to shine forth, then it cannot be hid no matter what you try to put over it it will shine because that's what God's light does so don't try to limit it don't try to cover it up even if you're at work whether that's work for pay or work in some other deeper sense I don't care if you use the words of the creed I don't care if you mention Jesus's name but yes let your light shine at work yes can't we bring it to school are we too old that we no longer remember how cruel the hallways are. How brutal a playground can be. Polite company, of all places, please bring light. We are at a place where we can't talk about anything. Let's not talk about this. We can't talk about that. Please don't bring up this. Good God, folks. 
How are we going to live if we can't talk to one another? Talk about this and that and that, but show up with light in the way you speak and in the way you listen. Yes, bring light. A double dose to the soccer games, please. And it's okay to bring it to the ferry. Once in a while, you need a captive audience. Because some of us are so wounded, so shaken by the sea, that we would almost rather jump overboard than have someone reflect back to us our belovedness. Have someone look in our eyes and pour in a reconciling, healing, hope-giving, unrelenting light and love. Whether we like it or not, folks, we're on the same boat.
You may be seated. I do encourage you to check out the bulletin and see what is happening here in the life of the church. I also encourage you to check out the blue table in the very back corner of the sanctuary. We have a lot of information on that table. I think right now on it is some information about our Reclaim Weekend that's coming up for middle schoolers and high schoolers. We have registration forms for our women's retreat that's coming up in mid-March. We have annual reports back there, especially if you were unable to attend our congregational meeting last week. Um, The annual report is um, all kinds of information about what has gone on in the life of the church over the last year. You can get an annual report in hard copy. It's also posted on our website if that is better for you. A couple other things. First, uh, Rob teaches a Bible study on the first and third Tuesdays of every month here in the sanctuary at 6. However, this month it's going to move to the fourth Tuesday. So if you're a regular attender at that Bible study or if maybe you're just wanting to check it out, uh, don't come next week. Come the following week for that one. Um, Finally, you may have noticed in here some information about a book group that's beginning. Our Spiritual Life Commission um, is beginning a book group on Richard Rohr. Um, So if you're interested in that, you can find some information in here. All right. So with that, I want to explain a little bit about our closing hymn. It's number 70, and the closing hymn basically has three parts to it. You'll see in the hymnal, one, two, three. So what we're going to do is we're going to sing each part once, and then you get to choose. All the parts are written to be sung at the same time, all right? So after we sing each part once, we'll then sing it through again a couple of times, and you get to choose which part to sing. It should be fun, all right? So stand as you are comfortable and join us in hymn 70. it's okay to clap. I won't tell the presbytery. Uh, Like you, I have enjoyed the choir giving us this uh, burst of energy today and many Sundays. Thank you. And I should also say, uh, as we've gone to this transition of looking for a new accompanist, uh, our buoy has been Martha, who, uh, yeah. So for all of you, we do give thanks. As you go from this place, may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, 
The love of God, who is father and mother of us all in the sweet communion of the Holy Spirit, be with you this day, be with you every day. Amen.